But what business owners really wanted was like more of a partnership, someone to really help them. Hello there, and welcome to the Grow Your Side Hustle podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow their side business into a second stream of income or into their full-time gig. I'm your host, Jennifer Roland Cadiente. Today, we're joined by Holly Webb, a CPA and accounting consultant based in California, to talk about all the accounting things that we need to think about as we're running our side hustles. Hi, Holly. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for inviting me. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, how you got into being a CPA and what types of businesses you work with? Great. Sure. Um, I have been a CPA for over 25 years and I studied accounting in college. And I think there was just a lot of different role models in my life that I knew that were CPAs, a friend's dad, my favorite high school teacher's wife. Um, and one of my really smart buddies in high school took an accounting class in high school and was telling me how great that career path was. So I actually, I broke my leg or something. And so I had to choose uh, <laughs> classes last. And so I was like, oh, my friend said that accounting class is good. I guess I'll take it. So I had a few different influences. And then I really enjoyed my accounting classes in um, college And also accounting is one of those businesses where if you get a degree, a firm will hire you and then they'll train you how to do the job. And that really appealed to me. Like when you're a college student, you're like, I learned all these things. What do I do with it? And to have someone tell you, oh, well, we'll train you up. Like, you know, we'll teach you how to do a job. So I was, you know, that was very appealing to me. So did you do that? Did you take that route where you worked with a yeah. firm for a while? Yes, definitely. You go through recruiting in college. You you know, you get offers, hopefully. You pick who you like. I worked in public accounting for a really big firm for several years. Um, and right from the beginning, I was involved in small business because I ended up in a more of our entrepreneurial group. So I was during the dot-com era of, you know, really rapid growth, lots of new ideas out there, not just on the computer.com high tech, but also health tech and all sorts of innovations in, you know, biology, also all sorts of innovations in cellular. You know, we worked with Craig McCaw's companies and everything that he tried, you know, Teledesic was one of those original (laughs) ones. We were involved in all of that kind of stuff. Um, So, a lot of experience with working with places that only have one person doing accounting, you know, classic small businesses, and also even where owners are doing accounting. So even from my very beginning, I worked on that. And um, I eventually went out on my own. I worked for another firm too, a smaller one. But I went out on my own because what I saw was that um, as a, like a big time accounting firm, we have a certain goal, which is like a report. But what business owners really wanted was like more of a partnership, someone to really help them solve a problem, help them with their day to day. Um, Terrible things happen in business. Sometimes, you know, your place burns down or someone steals from you. And that requires special accounting that goes outside what, you know, our people we're talking to are going to do from their day to day. So they needed someone to help them. And I couldn't just walk away from them and be like, sorry, I can only produce a report. So that's how I ended up going out on my own and working with people. I I normally describe the kind of business I work with has usually one owner, sometimes two, and 
that person still works in their business. They are mm -hmm. actually, uh, you know, if it's a services company, they're performing services. They haven't grown to the point where they're just supervising their business or their industry. They're one of the doers. So that's the kind of companies I work with is where the owners are still doers. Mm -hmm. And I work with everything from personal services like engineering, designers, um, consultants of all sorts of varieties. I also work with a few manufacturing companies who make some really cool things. Um, and then a little bit of high tech still, um, some of those sorts of places, but it's, it's really, if you're offering your personal services, then that kind of is kind of a fit for someone like me and my experience. And I work with a lot of businesses organized as S corporations. That's just okay. ended up to be a specialty of mine. And I just happened along the way. So I have a lot of those. Mm -hmm. So do you work with businesses outside of your state or do you, do you find that with accounting, you really need to stay in state? Well, that depends. Some states don't have a lot of state regulation, so mm -hmm. then it's not as sensitive. I would say that I mostly work with um, customers in Washington State, where I started my accounting career, and in California, where I live now. But I do have people throughout the country, mm -hmm. and I sometimes need them to help me know about some of the hot topics in their area because they're going to hear about those hot topics. I'm not necessarily. And then, um, you know, I would say that it is really good to work with someone who specializes in your state. So if somebody moves away, they might choose to still work with me because we have such a long relationship and we trust right. each other. But I'm going to be the first to say I am not a specialist on Tennessee taxes. Yeah. And so there would be things there that I would have to learn right along with them, might not be as efficient as I know everything that's going on in Washington and California. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think if you're choosing someone, very smart to choose someone who's a specialist in your state. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well. Um, why don't we dive into um, how you would find the right CPA for you? And yeah. the one thing that I do want to make sure that we, you know, say is that an accountant and a bookkeeper are usually two different people. So, you know, you're not maybe looking for someone to do those day-to-day -day or month-to-month -month bookkeeping tasks here. We're looking at an accountant more in an advisory role right. and help with the taxes. Right. That's, that's true. And, um, you know, when you talk to people, you can find out what services they perform and what services they consider themselves to be an expert in. That's good to ask. I'm, I, I have areas that I consider myself to be strong and weak in. And if somebody asks me that very upfront about those things, and sometimes I'm giving someone advice and they're going in a certain direction. And I'm like, I, that direction really makes sense to you. And just so you know, I don't work in that area. So now you need to find someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, because a CPA can do just your tax return for you, if that's what you need, or then they can sort of get closer. Like they could maybe, maybe someone else did your books, but they make a few entries and mm -hmm. then actually like certain CPAs, which is very rare. But again, this comes from my background of like really wanting to like step in and partner with my clients is I will do bookkeeping for some of them, but that's mm -hmm. not really common. So, um, you know, the number one tip I have for figuring out who you would work with is asking a lot 
of your friends, colleagues, and business connections, who they use, what they like about that person. And, um, and that's really key because even in my little small town, Oakhurst, California, I want to say there's like three or four different places you could get your tax return prepared. And then in just the next town down, it's only 10 or 15 minutes down, there's at least two places. And, you know, from my understanding of, well, I followed along behind a couple of those people and the work product wasn't very good. So, but you don't know that you're a business right. owner, you're, you're doing your thing and you see a sign for taxes or CPA and you go in and you like the person and they're nice and you just sign up. So I would definitely talk to people and I would talk to more than one person and just yeah. get as much information as you can about, you know, what kind of relationship they have, how long they've been working with them. You know, isn't it funny on Amazon, you'll go on there and someone will say, they'll review a product and they'll say, oh, I've been using this for one week and I really love it. <laughs> and yeah. so don't ask the person who's used a CPA for, you know, they just did their tax return last month. That's the, I mean, then they'll be able to tell you about their demeanor, how timely they were, did they follow through on their promises? But, you know, you haven't even gone long enough to find out if they got a notice or if you right. did all your stuff right. So try to, you know, ask people how long they've been working with the person. And, and you know, I, it's really tricky. Like as a CPA, I sometimes hire an attorney, okay, for different mm -hmm. things in life, right? And also I sometimes hire real estate agents. And I think both of those are kind of similar. And it seems like every, every time I've hired those people, I went into the office thinking I was going to interview them and just hired them. And so it's like, it takes a certain fortitude to truly interview those people and talk to them and take them up on their free 30 minute interview and uh -huh. then think about it <laughs> instead of then immediately proceeding into, okay, well, now that I'm sitting here, let's just start doing my work. So, and it, that's, that's something to think about is like, why don't you talk to the person, ask a few questions ask them what they're expert in, ask them, you know, if there's areas they don't prefer to work in. Hey, sometimes people will take your work and they actually don't like that area of work. Yeah. And that can be a problem because they said yes, mm -hmm. but, but then they're not going to enjoy working with you or working on your matters. And then that can be a problem because if they have a lack of interest in it, they're going to prefer their other clients. So, you know, find out, if you, you know, I don't prefer to work on LLCs and we'll talk about business entities and how to choose one a little bit. But so, you know, I only have a couple and you had to twist my arm to take them. And they're the last ones that I do because yeah. I don't I don't like doing it. So those are important, you know, finding out if this is the kind of work they like to do. I, I really think it's really smart to have almost all professionals will give you a free meeting. Don't mm -hmm. hire them during that meeting. <laughs> Unless they're like the fourth one that you visited and you really hated all the other ones. Right. You know, um, another thing is, and this might come into play, you know, it's not really applicable when we're doing this talk right now. It's in August. But um, if you find yourself in a position where it's getting really close to a tax filing deadline and you really need someone, you might be in a crunch. So what you might need to do is hire someone to just do your extension. Right. And just say, hey, um, you're not taking new clients right now, but, you know, would you be willing to just do my extension and we could talk more about this after whatever the deadline is that, that they're right. facing? 
So yeah. I would say, you know, don't let that be a block to you working with someone who might be the right person is, you know, maybe you can get in like that with someone that you want to get in with. And likewise, if you haven't finished your interviewing process or if you haven't thought about it a lot, maybe you could hire someone to do your extension and knowing that like that might not take them very long, but you might need to compensate them because like you might need to compensate them right. a little more than it seems like it might have been worth or took because maybe you're going to ditch them. Maybe you're going to mm-hmm. keep that interviewing process going and then you're going to say, hey, thanks so much for doing that extension for me. Um, I've decided to go in a different direction. You know, no problem. You you get to choose who you, you yes. know work with on this stuff. So so those are some tips I have and things that I, I think about. And people do come to me really close to tax filing deadlines. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> right. But then if I was compelled to, you know, take them on, I might be like, well, if you understand that I'm just going to do an extension right now and I'll be getting back to you in four months, I might be able to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, that is a really important thing to think about is accountants are very busy right before, especially, you know, April 15th or whatever date it happens to be that year that our taxes are due. So April 14th is not a good time to be contacting them and asking them to spend a lot of time with you. Right. And that might be somebody who's really good. Yeah. And might be recommended by your friends and they might overall have the capacity to take you on as a client, but you're asking them at the wrong time. Yeah. And so then you don't have to assume that you could never work with that person. And and this can really happen to our small business owners because, you know, you started your new thing. You followed some of the tips in this. You also asked your friends and you followed their tips. (laughs) But for whatever reason, tax day is getting closer and closer and you finally need to do something about it. And you didn't realize that now you've gotten into the zone where CPAs aren't going to take no one's going to right right so that that could happen so i've i've given that tip out a lot um you know starting around february 1st starting Mm -hmm. around february 1st i kind of have my plan who who i'm gonna be working with for that season for for an on-time non-extended return right yeah yep and you know theoretically if you know, you thought you were going to do your taxes yourself. You're like, oh, I got this. And then you start doing them and you realize, oh, I don't got this. Then maybe you file the extension yourself and then you find someone to help you do the actual filing. Yeah, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. But I would say that it depends on what kind of business you have. But if you can get any help during the extension process, it's always Mm -hmm. a good idea because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, you know, you might get advice to pay money with the extension, or you might've set your business up in such a way that you need two extensions. You might need one Mm -hmm. for a company and one for a human, and you might not know that. And then if you miss filing one of those extensions, there's no redo. So yes, you, uh, you could potentially extend yourself if you get, if you have no other choice, which would be Mm -hmm. certainly better than like, kind of filing not doing it or not doing it or not doing it or not doing it yeah yeah so those are some options there okay all right so when someone is getting ready to start a side business what is what are the first things they should do so 
Now, this is going to be from an accounting and tax perspective. So it doesn't yeah. really cover everything. Right. Um, and, then, you know, sometimes people ask me questions that blur into other areas. And I try to do my best to say what I know and what I'm not qualified to advise on. But, um, you know, you may or may not need a business license. And that may or may not have tax or accounting consequences. Right. And it's kind of interesting because there are situations and jurisdictions where you don't need a business license. So so I, I can't cover all of that. But so, you know, that that may be a precursor, though, to your accounting stuff, because um, one a couple of things is, uh, you know, when you start a business, you don't really know how big this is going to be, what it's going to turn into. So one thing to think about is that um, these choices are not necessarily permanent. Right. And, you know, you may start out one way and change and that's fine. And then um, I think it's really important what kind of bank account you set up. And uh, there's a temptation to use a personal bank account mm -hmm. and um, that can work, but it's not a best practice. So your best practice would be to get a business bank account. And what you'll find is in order to get a business bank account, you have to have your ducks in a row for what's required for that business in your jurisdiction. Right. So the bankers will almost kind of somewhat guide you in that because so there's that. See it. And, and it also goes in a circle a little bit. Sometimes it's a chicken before the egg problem. Like you may have to set your business up in order to get the bank account. You may have to pay something to do that. So maybe you are using your personal account a little bit when you're starting up. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, so those are some things, you know, like thinking about if you need a business license or not, figuring out how to open a business bank account. And then pretty early on, you have to choose what kind of entity you're going to at least initially do business as. So if we're talking about personal services and if we're talking about side hustle, it's usually going to be what we call a sole proprietor business, which is a non-incorporated business. So it's not a company. It's not a corporation. It's you. You're right. just doing something. And maybe in this side business, you're going to work for other people and they're going to give you, um, they're going to pay you and give you 1099s. And, you know, we can talk more about that, but a lot of people have heard of those. Those are forms that if you go out and provide services for someone and they pay you a thousand dollars, they're going to eventually at the end of the year, give you a 1099. So it'd be very common to be a sole proprietor. And I would still recommend setting up a business account for that because when we fast forward to some of my top tips on how to organize something like this, if you have all your activity in one bank account, it really helps you. Yeah, it is yeah. not a requirement. There is absolutely no rule that you have to have all your business activity in one account. And a lot of people don't like it because, you know, we don't want to bounce checks or, you know, overdraft in any, any way. And then, um, you know, the, the only advantage I see to that, well, there's two, I guess, is bank accounts have fees now. So the more bank right. accounts you have, you pay fees. But um, the other advantage is if all your money is in one bank account, you know, you just have that one account to keep track of. And you're not having to, like, move money around to pay yourself. But but other than that advantage, I think it's really helpful, not only for you, but whoever's assisting you, if you have this account where 
everything in it is a business transaction. And what I tell my clients is I'm like, look, if you're at the store and you're checking out, you ask yourself at that moment, is this a business expense? And if it is, you use the business debit card or the business visa card that hooks up to these accounts. And that helps everybody down the road. So, you know, you don't even have to have a system of accounting yet. You know, you're going to get to some kind of method to get organized. Right. But um, but if all you had was your bank account where you had made that decision at the point of depositing something or at the point of spending money, this was a business transaction. And that's why I use this account. It's a really great organization tool. So, it is. And especially, you know, say you're at, you know, the drugstore buying X products and you also realize you need some pencils for your business. It's so easy to just buy them all on the same receipt, but it's better. It's easier later if you have a separate receipt that you bought the pencils and then the receipt that you bought your other stuff that you don't have to care about. It's a lot easier because you can, I have more than one business and I do sometimes check out once and that creates extra accounting work for me. Yeah. And then I got a pile of receipts that I got to go through and I have to almost make like an expense report. Like you might turn yeah. into your boss right now. I'm like, oh, on this day, I bought these things for this business. So that, that really helps. And as, as a outside person looking at other people's stuff, you know, you don't have the same feeling for what's going on that the owner does. Right. It makes it so much easier. So I recommend, you know, figuring out how you're going to do business. A lot of you, it's going to be as a sole proprietor. And then I really recommend having that separate bank account to help keep yourself organized. Yeah. And you can find accounts, you know, at smaller financial institutions that tend to charge fewer fees. So, you know, there are ways to avoid, you know, paying tons in fees from having multiple accounts. Yep, I think so too. So you just look and see what they offer. And sometimes if you've been with someone for a long time, they might also offer for you to open a second account with them, might make right. you move money between those accounts. Um, so, you know, I guess when you're getting started, what I think about is, you know, people will say, I'm just getting started. What do I need to do? And I'll be like, well, you know, it's your first year. We kind of don't know where this is going. So for now, the biggest thing that you need to do during the year before I try to sit down and work with you at the end of the year is you need to know how much money you made and mm -hmm. how much money you spent. And, yeah. you know, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but every, all the magic can come later. All the organizing that into different categories or you know, knowing which ones are deductible or not deductible. If you are really concerned about, you know, well, I want to buy this, but I don't know if it's deductible or not, you know, then yeah, that, that makes sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, as far as that goes, we have this concept that comes from the IRS called ordinary and necessary, which generally means if you were doing that exact same job and you were working for someone else, would that someone else think that they should be paying for these expenses. You know, right. like if you're an employee, do you need the pencils? Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and it's like, it's in there's, you know, 
a lot of nuance on this, of course, you know, because there can be special situations. And then you do need a CPA to tell you, like, if you're going to be able to deduct that and how. But right. um, it's 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 often generally what's traditional and normal for that industry, what's considered mm-hmm. a normal business expense. And, you know, right now we're in a, a strange and special time where uh, restaurant meals for business are 100% deductible. Right. Um, and, but meals is always a special category. I always emphasize meals, meals and mileage pretty heavy with my clients because those are areas that get the IRS pretty excited and where they have yeah. extra record keeping. And, and it's because those are areas where it's really easy for it to kind of blur whether something's business or personal. So for meals, you really want to keep the actual receipt. Yeah. No matter how much the meal is. And, um, and for uh, miles, driving your personal car for business purposes, you want to keep as good a records as you possibly can. And I love it when someone brings me an actual mileage log, pretty rare mm-hmm. these days, but yeah. um, a, a reasonable figuring of, you know, that's math. That's not at the end of the year. Oh, I drive about half the time for work, but an actual yeah. like number of trips or a calendar where you just wrote down. That, that's what I do personally is if I drive for business that day, I just write in my calendar what I drove for business that day. And then I add it up, you know, quarterly approximately. So it's not a big mm-hmm. chore at the end of the year. So that's, you know, see, people are really overwhelmed because it is a big deal to start a business and it is a big deal that you're doing something on your own. And this doesn't come with a W-2 from an employer. And so at the end of the day, you are the one that's going to be responsible to either by yourself or with an accountant put down on a piece of paper that goes in a tax return. Hey, here's my um, revenue that someone paid me for doing this work, whether whether someone paid you or whether you're selling something. Mm -hmm. And then here's my expenses that it took me to be in that business. And here's also the miles that I'm going to translate into an expense. And at the end of the day, here's my profit or loss from that activity. And so, you know, that's not how we do our taxes for as employees. Someone else just spoon feeds us that information. (laughs) So I don't want to pretend that it's not a big deal because it is. But but at the beginning, you don't have to be worried about all that, because especially if you do plan to hire a CPA, you don't have to know all the math calculations. You don't have to calculate the self-employment tax. You just have to give them the accurate numbers on what you made and what you spent. And um, it's by calendar year. So that matters. And it can't be all like blurred together and crossing years. It's it's mm-hmm. based on when it happened. So that bank account that you run everything through, that's going to help you a lot. Having a folder, maybe where you stick in the receipts of everything you think is for business. That's going to help you a lot. And um, an accounting software, I would say for most businesses is optional. Yeah, it's not yeah. it's not necessarily mandatory. We don't have to go out and buy a Qu- QuickBooks subscription for most businesses right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that helps minimize, you know, some of those startup costs if you are really, you know, trying to bootstrap this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you're going to go and do gigs somewhere, you don't need QuickBooks and these accounting software online are getting quite expensive. Mm-hmm. So work with your advisor, this person you're going to interview and sit down with and find out if they like your industry and if they have room for you and all this stuff to see if they think that you need it 
or what would be good record keeping for you, for your situation? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a massage therapist who has a notebook, a spiral bound notebook, and she puts, you know, January revenue on a page and she skips a few pages and she puts January expenses. That's how she tracks her um, business. And every date that she does a massage, she wrote the date and the amount she got on that January revenue page. And every time she buys something that she considers to be for her massage business, she writes it down on the expense page. Um, Maybe she saves a receipt. Maybe she doesn't. And, you know, that um, you can talk to your CPA about at what level they want you to keep the actual receipts versus that bank statement we talked about. And then um, at the end of the at the end of the year, she adds up the pages, you know, and then she has her revenue for the 12 months. She adds that up. I have no problem doing her tax return from that. I think it's great. Yeah, I I got a concrete guy who does the same thing. He has like a page for every type of expense, you know, a telephone page and a concrete supplies page and jobs page. And he just writes it down. So these these are those are non-computerized methods. And then obviously yeah. we can get into like Excel or whatever. So um, so the actual record keeping software, that's not your big thing that you're worried about when you're getting started. And then mm-hmm. um we talked about Jennifer and I talked about something beforehand that I want to back up to is um since most of you are going to be doing a sole proprietor business and as i said before that business is considered to be like part of you like you and your business are the same entity <laughs> um then you can for the most part do business with just your social security number and that would be as long as you don't have any employees working for you actual employees where you're going to give them a w2 so as long as you don't have someone working for you as like let's say you know a regular employee then you could run your whole business off your social security number. And I recommend against that for privacy reasons, purely for privacy reasons. So what you can get instead is called an EIN, employer identification number. You have to have an EIN if you want to have employees and give them a W-2. And you can get that at the irs.gov. And something really funny is you get it online, totally by yourself, self-service but they're only open for them to issue this to you <laughs> Monday to Friday during business hours, which uh-huh. I think is hilarious. Uh-huh. So Monday to Friday during business hours, <laughs> you can go onto the IRS website and apply for an EIN. And yeah. as a schedule C is what the sole proprietor form in the tax return is called. And you can apply for a schedule C sole proprietor EIN. And um, you don't have to put your business name in there. Because, right. you know, it's it's actually irrelevant what your business name is, how you're kind of doing business in the world. If you're Jennifer's jazzy, you know, <laughs> book writing or if you're uh-huh. Holly's super pretty nails or if you're Holly's, you know, consulting or Holly's babysitting, that, that all doesn't really matter. Just sign up for the EIN under your name, your first and last name, middle initial if you want. And now you can have that when you open your bank account. Um, you'll write it down on a, it'll be on a page in your tax return. And then if somebody's going to give you a 1099, you can give them that number and you're not giving them your social security number. Yeah. I think that is such an important piece because, you know, in my business, I send W9s through email all the time to, to clients and email is not a secure form of communication. 
So I'm much happier sending that EIN on a PDF through email than I would be sending my social security number. Yeah. And a W-9 is where, so someone wants to pay Jennifer and they say, I want to pay you, give us all your important deets. And the W-9 is where you put your deets, you know, so your name, your EIN, your address, where you want to get this money. And that's all the W-9 is. And, you know, some of us, like, you know, some less formal companies will be like, either give me the W-9 or just give me the deets, you know, and like, but so at the end of the day, you want to be putting your EIN down on this W-9, not your social, because why do they need your social? Exactly. And like, even if you're a gig worker, you might actually give someone else a 1099 because maybe uh-huh. you got a really big gig and you needed some help and you hired them like, hey, come work with me 200 a day for four days. It's $800. Well, you need to give them at the end of the year 1099. And it's going to have the giver's um, business number on there, which is you. And that would be your social. (laughs) And a lot of people do that. And I just, I'm the accountant. So I see Jennifer, now I'm Jennifer's accountant. And she's been paid by all these places. And I'm like looking at these people that are giving Jennifer their social because they paid her. And I'm like, (laughs) you're crazy. (laughs) So don't do that. I mean, yeah. and if, if you already did that, here's another thing is, you know, some of you might be sort of partway along in this journey and maybe you already did that. That's fine. You can switch anytime. That's one of the beauties of being a sole proprietor is there's some flexibility there. So go get an EIN now and then tell yeah. the people who pay you, hey, I got an EIN. Here's my new W-9 or I got an EIN. Can I give you the number and make sure that they use it? Yeah. No one ever gets mad if you change from your social to, to an EIN. Nope. nope. And you can also do it like if you pay people during the year and you um, haven't issued the 1099s yet, because that's typically done in January, you can mm-hmm. still get that EIN on like December 20th and use it to get give them the 1099s in January. So yeah. if you've been doing it this way that I was just making fun of, sorry, Um <laughs> It's not that bad. It's just that people don't know that they can do it. And they right. they they don't realize that it's, there's an easy way to protect their own private information. Yeah. So do, do and that. And it's free. There's no charge to file. It takes like five minutes tops. Yeah. yeah. The, the only two things I say are watch out on the EINs are, um, number one, they give you some little letter. It's an actual letter. Even if you do it online, it looks mm-hmm. like a letter. It says right on there, we will never reissue this letter. Yeah. So they print it out. Yeah. Print it out. Maybe print two copies. Yes. You know, put it, uh, scan it into your computer or save it as a PDF. Like you need that forever. And then the other thing is it does get a little confusing on what to do if you have more than one business or do you want to get two EINs? But my, so my, my answer to that question would be, you need to ask an accountant for advice for your situation. But the, but the point I want to make the watch out is don't forget that you already have one because you could make problems for yourself if you forget and you get a new one and then they're similar, you know, one Uh says your name first and last and one has your middle initial and now you're using two. It could cause you some problems down the road in the great Borg of the IRS computer. (laughs) 
So those are my two watch outs is remember that you got one and yeah. then save that letter. Yeah. Yep. So we've talked a lot about filing taxes. Right. Um, I know that, you know, we don't ever really know how much we're going to have to pay that first year. So it can be a big surprise when you fill out those tax forms and you could end up owing a lot. So what can we do to help throughout the year to prepare for that? Yeah. So let's say that you don't have the opportunity to work with a CPA um, to help you figure out your magic number. Mm -hmm. And so I want to use that as the first example. Then I would recommend that for federal purposes that you set aside 40% of what you took in. And the reason I come up with that number is because I'm saying you did not get customized advice. This is the only advice you got. Well, first (laughs) of all, I want you to estimate high. And secondly, there's a lot of side gigs you could do where you would basically have no expenses. You could live in the city and walk to your gig and the gig could be purely professional services like where you're acting or uh, teaching and, you know, just performing, doing something that you're performing. And you could also have truly no expenses. And, and, you know, I think a good CPA will make sure we squeeze in some kind of expenses. But, you know, maybe your mom pays your cell phone bill. She always has, you know, since you were in college and you live with a friend who pays all the Internet. So you don't have Internet expense. And here I'm the CPA. I keep asking. Anyways, at the end of the day, you might have no expenses. So if you have all revenue, no expenses. I think you really could get into this 40% situation pretty quick because you could be 15% self-employment tax and 25% overall personal tax rate, all of which come together on your one regular old 1040 that you've been always doing at 40%. And that doesn't include state taxes and every state's different, but I, I I still think, you know, hopefully you are going to squeeze some expenses in there. So 40%, if, if no one's telling you any better, 40% 40% is going to make you very prepared. Now, would be nice to get a little advice, like just a high level advice from this person that you hope to work with on what they think, you know, the tax rate might be for you. Because right. if your side gig is making crafts and selling them at a uh, craft fair, you might have a lot of expenses. Yeah. So then if we're basing how much to set aside towards this future tax bill off your revenue, that might be really inaccurate for you. What if you're making mosaics and you have heavy duty um, board that you're putting it on and then you've got your mortar and then you've got all of your ceramics that you bought? You know, what if you going in a totally different direction? What if you have a loss the first year in your side business? Yeah. What if you took in five thousand dollars of revenue? but you really clearly lost money in this business for the first year, then you're not owing $2,000 in taxes. And what if Holly's advice to set aside 40% is like making it so you can't eat, you know, that's not the position (laughs) to be in. But so, so, you know, but it could definitely be up to 40%. And um, in the previous example, so I guess that shows you, Look, if if you don't have a lot of expenses, you would be pretty smart to set aside 40%. If you want to be really conservative or if you have state taxes, you might set aside 50%. If you have a really good idea that you have a loss from this business, maybe it's less critical. Um, depending, though, on what your expense is, you know, 
non-accountants have a different idea of whether they have a loss from their business sometimes than accountants. Because <laughs> someone might say, oh, well, my business is acting. And in order to act, I had to buy this building because there weren't any performances in my area. So I bought this building and now we put on plays and performances in this building. And so I have expenses of, you know, $100,000. And I'm like, uh, sorry, that's a yeah. commercial building. You're going to depreciate that over 39 years. So, and you bought it in November. Uh-huh. So, you know, your expense for your $100,000 building that you just told me about is actually, you know, $500. And you do have profit. So, yeah. so you might not always know what things are an expense. And so you might not be the best judge, but if it's personal services, it's easier to tell. And uh, if you're selling something, you probably have a pretty good idea. So, you know, in those kind of cases, if you're making something like I was talking about the crafts and selling them, you probably have a pretty good idea of not your revenue in that case, but your profit, your sort mm -hmm. of gross that you made before you consider things like advertising or your cell phone that I was talking about or your internet. And then maybe I would say in those cases, you're looking at, you know, saving 25 to 40% of that number. And yeah. you're just saving it in your own bank accounts because this first year, you're not really obligated to pay it to them during the year. Because what you're supposed to pay in during the year is really based on last year. Right. Right. And, you know, and so you typically, if you don't get pay enough after that first year, once you know, you know, what, what you've done, then you might have to pay a penalty, which is why we all worry about paying our quarterlies. Yeah. Yeah. So your first year, you usually wouldn't have to pay it in advance, but like that we do want to avoid that shock. You know, if you're very successful yes. in this side business and your account said, oh, don't worry, you don't have to pay in during the year. That'd be true. And then, you know, you can do consulting and make a hundred thousand dollars and owe 40,000. Mm -hmm. And you want your CPA to tell you owe 40,000, you know, on March 15th. And by the way, you know, or let's say April 12th. <laughs> and by the way, it's due in three days. That's not yeah. good. <laughs> no. And then, oh, and then now you are going to do quarterly. So also you owe first quarter right now on April 15th, <laughs> yeah. another $10,000. So um, that's where getting with your CPA early is good because they can help customize to you how much they think you might be setting aside in the beginning. And then you can kind of revise that after you filed the first time. Um, now, an, one idea that Jennifer brought up um, when we were talking before is that if this is a side hustle for you and you have a job where you get a W-2, then one way that you could make it easier for you is instead of having to go through this process of paying quarterlies where you turn in some money to the IRS and your state maybe every quarter for the whole year so that you don't end up owing them penalties or money, you could possibly just crank up your withholding at work to cover it. Like if at the end of the year, your CPA says, oh, well, um, you owed business of two, you owe $2,000 on your side hustle. And so because of that, you know, you're writing a check for $2,000. Well, so that's 500 a quarter or, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little less than 200 a month. So what you might want to do to just make life easier for yourself is just go to work and say, hey, can you take out an extra 200 a month for my paycheck? And that's really nice because then it doesn't, it's not something to remember. It's not something to keep track of. Right. 
and it gets treated as paid in perfectly evenly throughout the year mm -hmm. by the IRS instead of like if you make a quarterly payment late, then they really ding you on that. So that's a, a lot of people hate quarterlies. It's just <laughs> one more job to do. It's a hassle. Yeah. So that is a, a great tip. Another thing that can happen sometimes is what if you normally get a refund? Like a lot yeah. of people, especially two earner families that have jobs, the withholding is more than enough to cover them. And so they get this big refund. Well, maybe you don't need to do anything. Maybe you just won't get the refund. It'll go towards yeah. your side. So those are all, I would say, you know, kind of at the end of the first year, you take assessment and mm -hmm. hopefully you're working with someone that can help you. Um, so I'm trying to think of like, you know, what other considerations for, you know, we're setting money aside. We're not necessarily making quarterlies our first year because we don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one thing I would recommend, and, and this is a mistake that I see businesses make, is they'll pay people during the year and then they realize their accountant tells them at the end of the year they have to give these people 1099s. And now they can't find them. Yeah. And worst case scenario, the IRS can tag you for the taxes they were supposed to pay on their income if you don't give oh. a 1099. So you don't want to do that. No. And you'll find some CPAs who are so rigid that they won't deduct the expense for you because you didn't issue a 1099. So you really want to get that information before you pay people. Be a yeah. stickler about that. Like if you have someone who's helping you out, who's going to work for you, and even if you don't know if you're going to reach that $600 threshold by the end of the year, if it's the kind of work that qualifies for 1099 and you're paying them 200 now, say you need their info from them and mm -hmm. you know ask them to do the W9 and tell them that you know you're not going to issue them a 1099 unless it reaches the threshold, but that you right. just don't pay you don't pay subcontractors. That's what they would be to you as a subcontractor. Mm -hmm. You don't pay them without the information to make sure that you can follow the rules at the end of the year. And that also helps you find out who won't work with you yeah. unless you get, because some of them at the end of the year, you'd be like, I paid you a thousand dollars. Can I have your details? You can still find them. And they're like, well, hi, I'm still here. This is still my number. No, I'm not giving you my information. <laughs> And I would have never done that job for you if I knew that you were giving me a 1099. So right. it's a good conversation to have. And honestly, I have clients who need to hire certain people who will not let them issue them a 1099. And so that's a that's a decision that has to be made. You know, how badly do you need that person? Um, right. What does your CPA think about deducting that expense? Um, you know, are you going to? possibly use that person anyway maybe not deduct the expense i've had clients choose that um, mm -hmm. that, that becomes very specific to the situation at hand but you know it's, it's good to know it's good to know and it's better to find that out um in the beginning than later right and maybe maybe if that person knows from the beginning that they're doing a 1099 maybe they just negotiate a different rate Maybe yeah. you are going to pay $20 an hour and they're like, well, I'm fine with that. But if, if you're going to give me a 1099, I want $23 an hour. And maybe everybody can live with that. Mm -hmm. 
So that's that's a headache that you can avoid um, by doing that up front. Um, can you think of any other uh, concerns that people starting a new side hustle would have about planning yeah. up those kind of reporting? I think we covered a lot of stuff. And, you know, there's always that caveat that we can't provide specific advice because there's so much that depends on your situation outside of your side hustle, the things that you're doing in your side hustle, the regulations in your state, in your country, if you're, you know, if you're not in the U.S., there's just, there's so much that you really, you need to work with someone who knows your situation specifically. You know, I have had a lot of people come to me who've been doing their own returns. Mm -hmm. And I have never done a return where I said, oh, this worked out so great for them to be doing their own returns these last three years. <laughs> I feel so embarrassed that I'm taking their money now. No. Yes. <laughs> never like that. Um, you know, people ask me who needs a CPA. And I say, if you are in business, you need a CPA. Yeah. There, it's not a guarantee that the savings your CPA will provide to you will cancel out their fee. Right. It's, that's not a guarantee, but I'd say it's common that mm -hmm. that is the case. So they end up paying for themselves. But if they don't pay for themselves, I think there is a lot of value in knowing that you paid what you needed to pay and not more than that. Yes. And you're not guessing about that. And I can tell you, there's a lot of people that have a lot of anxiety that maybe they did it wrong and kind of feel bad. Like maybe they underreported and they're a bad person and yeah. they didn't. So just knowing that I think, is really helpful. And then it gives you the confidence that, you know, you, you followed all the things you're compliant, you're a small business. So in the big picture, the IRS is not out to get you. The, no. the, the people they're looking for are people who aren't participating at all, who aren't trying mm -hmm. at all. They aren't even filing any tax return at all. And they are receiving income. So you, if you're not participating at all, yes, they're looking for you. Um, you know, they just announced that they're going to be providing additional funding for the IRS to step up enforcement. And they specifically notated that this is targeted at uh, individuals earning 400000 or more. Uh -huh. So, you know, filing this and doing your best, you're going to do fine. You're you're not you're not putting yourself at risk by participating in this process. And then you're going to feel better that you didn't overpay. And it's really more common for me to come to people and say, well, don't you have a cell phone? And they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I'm like, well, right. don't you put, you know, don't you use that number for, to some extent for this side hustle? Don't you have an internet connection at home? Do you have a space that you use for this work? Um, did you drive anywhere from this work? I, I seriously have to hound certain people about whether they drove for that work. And they'll be like, well, I do drive to the post office to mail my clay fellows that I make. And I'm like, well, how far is it to the post office? You know, uh -huh. how many times and how do you often go? do you go? And, and, you know, okay, maybe it only came up to a hundred dollar deduction, but you know, 15% self-employment tax 25. So you want to pay them extra 40 bucks. And <laughs> yeah. So you have a CPA, they're, they're 
They're getting you the best possible outcome for your situation. That's their job. With your facts and circumstances, what is this, you know, best outcome with following the rules? And then now you have confidence that you did it right. And then also, if you're ready to graduate to another business entity, you have better records. Um, Also, these kind of um, preparing these forms properly can open the door to other benefits. Um, During COVID, we had the PPP program. And so everybody who was with me prior to COVID as a client, I found COVID benefits for every, well, I analyzed every single one of my clients for COVID benefits. And if they were eligible, we applied. And then in addition, um, you have all this data here. So now if you want to graduate and be a bigger type of business entity, you have the information you need. It's already organized by an accountant. So Everyone, I believe, even if you just have a rental property, you need an accountant. If you're in business for yourself where you're not getting a W-2, you need an accountant. And, you know, absolutely find one that fits your budget. Um, You don't need, you know, the fanciest firm that has special talents in areas that you don't work in. But uh, you're going to get benefit from it. You're going to reduce the error rate. You're going to find out about deductions you never knew about. You know, my tax software tells me all the time about deductions I didn't know about. So, you know, having an accountant with good tax software is going to help you get everything that you can out of the process. And I would say one more thing, and this kind of can be its own deep topic, but I'll keep it as a top level topic is. You could be doing your very best in your side hustle and you may be losing money. And so reporting this activity on your return instead of ignoring it, like doing nothing with it, might actually provide you a tax benefit against your other income. Yes. So, you know, you might be afraid of this process and thinking it wasn't, you know, that you didn't make that much money and you're just going to not look at that. But if, in fact, you had, let's say, a loss of $1,000, that, and you work at a job, which is how you support yourself, that loss of $1,000 goes on to your return matches up against your income from your job and reduces your overall family income by a thousand dollars. Right. And, you know, that may not sound like a huge amount, but it could be, you know, that the tax table, it could take, take you down one level. Yes. So that certain amounts of income are not being taxed at the higher rate. Yes. Yes. It could do that. Um, It could make you eligible for certain programs. Look at the stimulus payments we all received or many of us received, Um, you know, acknowledging this activity that's engaged in for the purpose of making a profit. That's one of the Mm -hmm. criteria for setting down a Schedule C on your return and reporting this income and expense in that on that particular page as you're saying, I've undertaken this for a profit. It's my intention to make a profit on this. And there's some complexities and there's some rules about like, you know, how long can you take a loss? If you're showing a loss from your side hustle every single year for five years, maybe this is a hobby. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you really like writing and every once in a while someone pays you, you know, for an article, but you can't expense your new computer every year and your new iPad every year and your whole cell phone bill and your whole internet bill. And now you have this loss because you only had, you know, one article for $200, maybe after a certain amount of time, that's not going to fly anymore. 
But that's, again, something that a CPA knows about and and can guide you on like, you know, when this is going to be something you're going to keep on your return and when it's not, when it might fall into hobby rules, which is its own category. But I think that's something to think about that um, people might be like, well, I'm not making money at this right now, so I'm not doing my tax. I'm not doing my taxes. Well, by the time you start making money, then you lost, you know, then you didn't take the loss those first three years when you were ramping up. So I don't know, maybe everybody thinks about how they can get the deductions. (laughs) Maybe I got it backwards, but, but that, but that is a thing. And uh, and you'll see that advertised on the internet as one of the benefits to a side hustle is a tax Uh write-off. And I'm kind of like, um, aren't you supposed to be making money in your side hustle? But, you know, some businesses do start out with a loss and, and that's part of being in business. And, and it can, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you need to build up like our, um, our person we were talking about that makes mosaic art. Well, maybe mm-hmm. they had a lot of expenses getting started up in that. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the next year, they don't have to pay all those things that they needed yeah. to start up. So then they start earning a profit yeah. and they get the benefit of that they loss. Got the benefit of the loss that first year. Yeah. Or you have a bad year, you know, I mean, look at all the businesses that, you know, had a tough time during COVID, you know, like uh, I have a friend who owns a fitness gym and and I'm pretty sure he took a loss. Yeah. His overhead costs stayed similar or the same. And he paid a lot of his employees or as much as he could. And ultimately, you know, he lost a lot of revenue. And then when gyms open back up, they're not at full capacity. No. So, you know, maybe he was going along good for a long time and paying, paying his share of taxes, and then he had a loss. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, I guess my bottom line is um when I, I almost, and I very typically will amend returns when people come to me. Uh, I'll say, let's show me your last return. I'll look it over. You know, if they did it themselves, it would not be uncommon at all for me to find areas to improve and I I'll compute and see how much was left on the table and if it's enough I'll I'll even go and amend one or two years and get us started that way so that's yeah. a, that's a possibility but you know not the first choice right because it's right. more red tape and and you know a human has to look at that and when mm-hmm. we're if we're e-filing our returns online and they're within normal parameters a human's not really looking at that. It's just going through. Yeah. Okay. So one of the reasons that I wanted you to join us is that not only, you know, are you an accountant who works with small businesses, but you also have a side hustle. In addition to being a CPA, you're a Color Street stylist. How did you decide to start that? Yeah. Color Street is nail polish. And uh, CPAs aren't normally known for being into nail polish, <laughs> I don't think. And uh, it's a 99% dry nail polish that you buy in a package that you can just stick on your nails and you're ready to go in like 20, 30 minutes, maybe faster. So um, I found out about Color Street Nail Polish at an event, saw somebody with absolutely adorable Christmas nails and just had to try that myself. And my mother and I both tried it the same day. And uh, my mom's experienced at, at doing side hustles and she has several and she could tell right away that that was a product that she wanted to sell. She really thought it was a quality product, better than anything else she had seen, better than anything else she'd been selling. So she started, signed up immediately, like the next day. I took a little bit longer. What I found is I just absolutely loved it. 
was telling all my friends about it. I was buying them and giving them to friends. <laughs> uh, and, and I was like, you know, um, I could get paid to do this. <laughs> and I'm already like a cheerleader advocate for this product that I absolutely love. And so, uh, and I had a lot of other friends, you know, that I had met through wearing the nail polish, buying the nail polish, you know, sharing pictures of the nail polish. So I had other friends besides my mom that were selling it at that point. And so then I realized that, yeah, I, 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 this is something I enjoy. And one of the reasons why I decided to do it is, you know, have my day job, my full-time job, that's very serious. And as I said, at the beginning, I've been doing it for over 25 years. So in a way it was something to do just for me. So yes, there's a business purpose to it. I do sell products. Um, I'm coaching people and they are customers, but it's fun for me. It's something I really like. And my primary reason for doing it was just to um, delve deeper into something that I was really enjoying. And hopefully, you know, I take the same, you know, with my accounting clients, I like chose that profession because I wanted to partner with someone didn't want to just be the person who came in and did a report and just left. And it's the same thing when I sell nail polish. I'm if they tell me they like red and then they want to order a certain new color. I'm like, Oh, but did you know that that one's really sheer and you can see through it and that would you like that or not? And they're like, Oh, I wouldn't or somebody like perfect. That's so I'd like to be the person that knows a little bit more about the thing that they might be spending their money on to make sure they're totally happy. That way I'm the guinea pig maybe because I've seen every (laughs) single one in my hands. And so I like, I get to be the guinea pig. I'm like the pre-tester, I guess. And it increases the chance that my friends that I'm telling about color street nail polish, enjoy the ones that they get because I've already seen them and told them which ones I thought they'd like. So it's been really fun for me. And, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I've seen so many ladies really exceed the average and go above that and get into it. And I, I have quite a few friends who have ended up stopping doing their regular day job for their color street side hustle. And it's become their career. And wow. I don't think that's me because I think yeah. I have a passion for accounting and I have, you know, I've, I've been focused on it for so long. And I think it's, it's something I'm really good at. And I'm, I'm most likely going to continue to have that be my main thing, but it's really inspiring as well to see the people that have thrived in that and been able to transform their own life. And I definitely think we have people listening to this that fall into that category where they're looking to transform their life and pursue their passion. Yeah. There's always people who, you know, want to have those multiple streams of income want to continue the stability of a W-2 job, you know, that maybe pays your benefits and all that fun stuff while, you know, still doing something on the side, something that's just for them. But there are a lot of people who start the side hustle with the hope that it will be their main hustle. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, I think we're done. So we're going to officially not open up more new topics, but (laughs) we did not get into true entity selection, like what kind of, no, we did not. And who should be an LLC and who should be a corporation. And I had mentioned, I specialize in S corporations, but you know, it's kind of okay. We didn't get into that because the answer to that question always is you have to talk to your attorney about that. Yeah. 
I cannot really truly advise you. I can sort of say these are some of the differences in the tax consequences of these entities. But then at the mm -hmm. end of the day, choice of entity has a very large component of liability and um, yes. liability, I guess. I was going to say risk, but it's really more liability. And, um, and, and really only an attorney can tell you what entity they think protects you and is the right, right. structure for you. And insurance kind of goes hand in hand with that as well. And so I'm neither a licensed insurance agent <laughs> nor an attorney. So, but that's something that people can look into on when they're considering. And it's not just a thing, you know, where like it says on aspirin, like ask your doctor before you take this. Right. I really would encourage people to consider finding a business attorney to advise them on something that's significant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, like if you're setting up contracts, mm -hmm. you want to, you, you want an attorney's help with that. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just, you know, this is what I think it should say. Go to mm -hmm. someone who knows. Yeah. And how do you find an attorney? You know, it's the same way that I was saying you find an accountant, you talk to your friends and your business colleagues and your business, you know, these aren't always just your friends. They can be person that you're doing business with someone you right. don't really know that well. That's not, not an awkward question. Like, Hey, do you have a business attorney? Is that somebody you would recommend? What do you like about them? Uh, do you think they're taking new clients? Should I talk to them? And then, like I said, do the interview, the 30 minutes, don't hire them on the spot. <laughs> S same idea. Um, and that way, if you want to get advice on choice of entity, that's really the direction to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I think that's, that's great. And I definitely definitely want to talk to an insurance person to talk about what kind of insurance people need yeah, in the on this future really episode. Yeah. And I want to listen to that one because it's a really complicated, interesting area. Um, I, yeah. I have um, some trade groups that I belong to where we have an insurance person in the trade group and mm -hmm. they'll occasionally give presentations. It's always very enlightening. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. I know that you mentioned that you're not taking any new clients, but how about if people want to learn more about Color Street Nails, where could they find you there? All right. If you want to have beautiful nails or <laughs> give them as a gift to someone else, if you want someone in your life to have beautiful nails, I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, very fun and very easy. And I have a basic side hustle website and it's <laughs> rodeonails.com r-o-d-e-o-n-a-i-l-s rodeonails.com and color street is a major company you can find their website online but if you go to my website first then by then by going through that my website you'll be assigned to me as your stylist it'll be very easy for you to reach me and um, i absolutely love to help people pick out beautiful nails Yep. They're very fun and very easy to use. <laughs> and we just All came right. out well, with college nails. So I can't wait to put different colleges on my fingers. I know. Well, I'm only going to put one college on my fingers, but I'm very excited about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you again. I, I hope everyone listening has learned a ton. I have learned a ton. I appreciate your time. All right. Nice to talk to you. And here are our top takeaways from today's episode. First, get to know more than one accountant before you hire one. 
Check the regulations where you live regarding business licenses and structures, especially if you're working with an accountant who is in a different area. Keep good records of things that might be deductible so that your CPA has what they need when they're filing your taxes. Remember, you may not need fancy accounting software. Sometimes just a simple spreadsheet or even a Word document will work to keep the information that you need. And finally, get an employer identification number so you're not sharing your social security number with everyone that you're doing work for. Thanks so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our future episodes with other side hustlers and some experts to help you deal with some of those small and large issues that come up when you're running a side hustle. I'd also love it if you could share this episode with any of your friends that you think would be interested and leave a review and a rating in your podcast app. See you next week.